0: Well, if you're in Psalms 56, say amen together. Amen Amen and amen. Good to see Pastor and my mom back, or my dad and my mom back. I don't know what to call you. (laughs) Staff evangelist. Uh, He's technically, I feel like he's still my pastor, but um, I I think I called him that in our Deacon's Trustees meeting tonight, even, and you don't understand, I don't even know if I want to break that habit. Just good to have him here, and I'm thankful God used them at the Willow Park Baptist Church this last weekend As he preached three times on Sunday morning, once on Sunday night, no doubt was a blessing to that church family. I want to read the text at large, and then we will study it tonight. Be merciful unto me, O God, for man would swallow me up. He fighting daily oppresseth me. Mine enemies would daily swallow me up, for they be many that fight against me, O thou most high. And and this next verse is the very first verse in the Bible I memorized as a child. And here's how I said it. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. I'm not even going to go back and read it for real. That's just what you get. Verse 4. In God I will praise this word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Every day they rest my words, all their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather themselves together, they hide themselves, they mark my steps when they wait for my soul. Shall they escape by iniquity? And thine anger cast down the people, O God. Thou tellest my wonderings. Put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? When I cry unto thee, then shall mine enemies turn back. This I know, for God is for me. In God will I praise his word. In the Lord will I praise his word. In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. Thy vows are upon me, O God. I will render praises unto thee. For thou hast delivered my soul from death. Will not thou deliver my feet from falling? That I may walk before God in the light of the living. Praying through fear. Let me pray with you. Father, I pray that you would bless the reading and preaching of your word tonight. Thank you for those that have assembled. Lord, thank you for their faithfulness to your house. Or we have a midweek service like this so that we can, we can come in fellowship provoke one another to love and good works so that we can come and join and praise and worship to you in song we can join in corporate prayer and private prayer at an altar we can preach the word and listen to the word preached and be changed, challenged, encouraged convicted and so Lord as we come for all these purposes I ask that you would accomplish those in our lives tonight. We're the preaching part of our service, this is a such an important time, and I have no doubt that as I preach, Satan will fight. But I also know your spirit will speak. And so I pray that this would find a lodging place in the hearts of your people. So give our bodies energy now. And uh, give our minds a little bit of rest from what we're thinking about outside of this place. Still our attention and help us to really get out of Psalms 56 what we're supposed to. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Verse 3 says, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. There will come a time in life when you're scared. David didn't say, if I get afraid. He says, what time I am afraid. Let me ask you to be honest with yourself tonight. What scares you the most right now? What keeps you up at night? What do you complain about the most? That that often tells you what you're thinking about the most and what you fear the most. What is causing you to ask what if constantly? What dominates your mind? What causes you to feel sick to your stomach if you think about it too much? I'm talking about right now in your life. I wonder if if there are fears in here tonight that are related to COVID-19. How it's affecting you because you know you have underlying health conditions. You have loved ones that have underlining health conditions. You fear because of how it's affected your work life. You fear how it's affected simple things like going to a grocery store. How it affects your finances. I wonder if the fear that some are facing tonight, it would be related to relationships. Somebody you love. A child spouse, a parent, a sibling, an in-law, a co-worker. I wonder if some in here are legitimately struggling with fear in regards to our country right now. The direction our country is facing. Some would say, no, it's not fear right now, it's anger. I'm so mad about it. But maybe deep down inside you do kind of fear. And you kind of worry about the direction our country seems to be going. And I shouldn't say seems to be going, is going. You fear what might happen this election. You legitimately fear that. I wonder if you fear something socially, like fear of missing out. I text our youth pastor and then one of our teachers, public school teachers that, that is a member of our church, I said, what do you think teenagers fear the most? And, and, and they said, fear of missing out. Fear of being alone. Fear of being dis- or, or disappointing somebody that you love. I wonder if your fear tonight might be related to your future. You're struggling to see how various things in your future are going to come together like you you dreamed about because they haven't come together yet. You're fearful of your child or grandchild's future if they keep going the direction they're going. You're fearful of your own financial future if some things don't start happening really soon. What are we supposed to do when we're scared? What is our response to fear? Well, the Bible speaks a lot about our response to fear. And there are a lot of things we could do as children of God. But the first thing we must learn to do is pray through. Not just pray about your fears. Not just to pray for your fears that they go away. I'm talking about praying through your fears. Talking to a member of our church today. And they was complimenting this series and the thought of praying through because they admitted to me that often in their prayer life they pray about things. They pray for other people. But seldom do they hang on to their prayer closet or hang hang out in their prayer closet long enough to pray through something. They admitted to me and I admitted back to them that often our prayer time is one giant therapeutic session where we are casting all our care upon God because he cared for us and the Bible tells us to, but then we're done. And oftentimes when we address fears, we go and we talk to God about our fears and then we're done. And we put a band-aid on our fear. But we haven't learned in some regards to pray through our fear. David teaches us how how to hang in there long enough in prayer to make sure that you pray through. That's what Psalms 56 is about. If you were here last week, we talked about how David taught us in Psalm 59 to pray through betrayal. And so we left off last week where David escaped out of his window. Didn't hear that? You should go back and listen to that on our website or on our podcast. But with the help of his wife, Michael, he escaped out of his window because Saul, the king at that time, and his father-in-law betrayed him. I'm talking about the guy that he killed a giant for when nobody else would. The same guy that that, that he took a harp into his room and he played for him when he was having a bad day. His own father-in-law turned his back on him and wanted to kill him and David had to run. And that's when David wrote Psalms 59. But Psalms 56 picks up when David is on the run and he runs to all these various places. You can study through 1 Samuel starting in chapter 19 and on. And you can see how how David first tried to run to Samuel, the prophet, the prophet. And that was in Ramah. Then he met up with his best friend, Jonathan, where they they sealed a covenant of friendship, a beautiful passage of scripture. Then he went to a place called Nob. Nob's where he met up with Elimelech, the priest, and and, and Elimelech gave him some bread. And then he talked Elimelech into giving him a sword. And not just any sword. Guess what sword he he got from Elimelech? Goliath's sword. The same exact sword, not a replica. The same exact sword he used to cut off Goliath's head. And he strapped that thing to his thigh. And then you know where he went next? And this is how I know he was in fear, because fear is illogical. And it makes you go to places in your mind and even physically where you would never go otherwise. You know where he went? Gath. Why would David go to Gath? That was Goliath's hometown. David was the notorious killer of their golden boy. And on top of that, what did he have strapped to his thigh? Goliath's sword, as to rub it in. And among whom did David slay most of his 10,000s? And they wrote a song about it. Among whom did he do that? The Philistines. But yet he ran to their home ground, their home territory. And 1 Samuel 21 speaks to it. Look at it. Verse number 10. This gives us context to this prayer. And David arose and fled that day for fear of Saul. And he went to Achish the king of Gath. Next verse. And the servants of Achish said unto him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing one to another hymn and dances, saying Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? You've got to think about this. David couldn't have been surprised when they recognized him. He was on the town billboards for days. His song was number one on the charts. It's like Garth Brooks walking into Fellowship Baptist Church. You'd probably recognize him, some of you sinners that listen to that stuff. Yeah. I'd recognize people like Jim Brady and those kind of guys. But he gets recognized. And That's when his fear went through the roof Look what happened next and David laid up these words in his heart and watch was sore afraid. Well, he should be Of the king of Gath and watch what he does next and he changes behavior. That's what happens when you get so fearful you change who you are and He feigned or faked himself mad in their hands and scrabbled on the doors of the gate I'm gonna preach you first saying I can't wait to get to this part. I'm gonna act it out And he let his spittle Fall down upon his beard. Can you imagine me doing that? It's going to be intense. So he acts like a maniac. Then said Achish unto his servants, "Slow, you see the man is mad. Wherefore then have ye brought him to me? Have I need of mad men that ye have bought this fellow to brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence?" They saw right through his act. Shall this fellow come into my house? David therefore departed thence. He's on the run again, and he escaped to the cave, Adullam. And it's somewhere between Achish, or or, or Gath rather, and Adullam, where he stops long enough to pray. And the prayer is recorded in a psalm where he teaches us how to pray through fear. To let you know that these two are really connected, you can read the heading on, on the top of the passage there. It says, when the Philistines took him in Gath. And then you can also recognize that that the word that the psalmist used, what time I am, afraid, that same Hebrew word, is the same exact Hebrew word that was used by the narrator, 1 Samuel, to describe David's fear in the midst of all of those Philistine men when they recognized him. He's feeling the same exact thing. These two things are certainly related. And through this prayer, I think here's what we learn. Three things that we have to do in order to pray through our fear. Here's the first Acknowledge your fear. I think sometimes we have trouble being completely honest with God in prayer. I talked to you last week, and this can come up all the time in this series. David doesn't, and he didn't hear. He felt like he, he, he could be completely open with God. And I, he, he kind of starts in verse 1 with, with talking, just being honest with God, acknowledging his fear in regards to, to the intensity of, of his enemies attacks. What we're going to read is that David didn't wake up to a bad email from a coworker. And he didn't wake up to find that he had been, you know, some bad picture had been posted on Facebook and now his reputation smeared. Like it's a lot more intense than that. He's running for his life. Look at verse 1. Be merciful unto me, O God, for man would swallow me up. You study that word swallow and it's the idea of being devoured whole. Being swallowed whole. Just get that picture in your mind. They weren't just taking little bits and pieces out of him. I mean, they were devouring him. It says in verse 1 again, He fighting daily oppressive me. Study that word. It means to be pressed down. It means to be under immense amount of pressure. You've been there in life? It's like the pressure won't subside. That's why he was, he was fearing. Look down to verse 5. Every day they rest my words. You could say they were twisting his words. They they, they were saying things about David that were false so as to attack his character. Every village they would pass through, every citizen they would pass by, they would say something false about David. It hurts when people talk bad about you. It does. He said all their thoughts, verse 5, stay with me, all their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather themselves together. They hide themselves. They mark my steps when they wait for my soul. Did you catch that phrase? They gather themselves together. There's an army of men chasing him, there's an army of men pursuing him. It's not one on one, it's not David versus Goliath. It's David versus an army. Have any of you been chased down by an army? Probably not, but in your heart you might have feel like you felt like you were. Like, this is more than I can take. This is too intense. This is bringing me under a, a high measure of fear. Have you ever been in a situation where you literally felt like you were being swallowed up by it? Like there's no escape in it. It's so intense you can't sleep, you can't think straight at work, you can't focus at church, you're just not even the same person. That's how intense it was to David. But then he acknowledges his fear in regards to not just the intensity of his enemy's attacks, but the duration of them. In verse 1, he said, He fighting daily oppresseth me. Verse 2, mine enemies would daily swallow me up. Verse 5, every day they rest my words. Do you get what he's saying? He's saying, God, will it ever end? I think David felt in his heart that the only possible way he was going to overcome this fear is if he gave up and died. And this is how you know fear is overwhelming you when you truly feel that because of the duration of what you're going through that there will never be light at the end of the tunnel. And frankly, I think this is why a lot of people become suicidal. I really believe that. Because in their heart, They feel like what they're going through will never end. The fear will never subside. Listen to me, please. Those feelings of suicide are very real. But, But suicide is never the answer to fear. Now, there's drugs or alcohol or sex or food or any other coping mechanism. What's the answer? When it's lasting too long and it's so intense you feel like you're being swallowed up. Here's the answer, prayer. Get alone with God and be vulnerably open with Him about what you fear and who you fear and why you fear and how it's making you feel on the inside. Now, now listen, I'm not saying that your feelings are always right. I'm not saying your feelings are always accurate. But your feelings are real to you in the moment. And there is no praying through fear and getting to the other side where faith is until you're able to first honestly acknowledge those feelings to the Lord. I believe that we eventually need to pray through to the point where where we know whether or not our emotions are accurate to the facts. But we'll never get to that place without first acknowledging what we're feeling. And, And if you're really hesitant... to to be that open and that vulnerable with God, and, and you might think those things, but to actually say them out loud, you're very, very hesitant because maybe it makes you feel weird, it makes you feel weak, makes you feel too vulnerable, then let me get you to consider the consequences of not being that open with God. You don't have to lurk any further than King Saul. The total opposite dude of David. He wouldn't admit his fears to God would acknowledge his fears to God. In fact, you can study 1 Samuel chapter 15, and it said that he feared the people he was supposed to lead. You can turn a couple chapters over to chapter 17, and he feared Goliath. You can go to chapter 18 and 19, after David whooped Goliath, and he feared David's growing popularity. You can go to 1 Samuel chapter 28, verse 5, and Saul's fear grew to the point where he sought help from a witch. Instead of finding help from God and admitting his fear to God. Now question, how much better would it be to own your fear and resolve it before God than to deny it and be consumed by it? Yes, David struggled with fear. But because Saul didn't acknowledge it, he was enslaved by fear. What's your choice? You can can bottle it up. You can suppress it. You can slap a smile on your face all the time. You can act like Mr. Tough Guy or Mr. Tough Woman or Mr. Or, or Mr. or Sister Independent. You can power through because that's what your parents taught you to do. Or you can get along with God in your prayer closet and say, God, this is what I fear. This is who I fear. This is why I fear. And this is how I feel. And that's where praying through begins. But it doesn't end there. How do you know that? Because the psalm doesn't end there. And we can't end with just acknowledging it because prayer is more than than, than this therapeutic acknowledgement of what we feel. It requires applying our faith as well. And that's the second thing you got to do. Apply your faith. Verse 3. What time I am afraid. Would you read this next line out loud with me? I will trust in thee. That sounds like a pretty faith-filled choice. And let me say this about Faith it is not something that you merely possess. Or I should say it this way, it's not something that possesses you. Meaning faith doesn't, you don't wait for faith to come on you and then you say, I'm going to trust God. Faith is a choice of where you're going to place your trust. It's a choice. Feelings usually follow. Emotions usually follow. But it's not a result of feeling that way all the time. In fact, Derek Kinder puts it this way: Faith is seen here as a deliberate act in defiance of one's emotional state. That's what David is doing. Here's the truth: We aren't always able to choose our emotions. They simply come upon us. but we are able to choose the emotions we continue the journey with. Isn't that great? That means as we pray through fear, we have to find the balance, watch this, between honest recognition of our fearful emotions and the faith-filled choice to starve our emotions. Did you get it? We have to be both honest about our emotions, honest about our fear, but at the same time, we've got to be ruthless with our emotions and ruthless with our feelings of fear. Now, I know, know that's good preacher talk because... In the moments of deep fear sometimes you don't feel like your emotions can be harnessed do you think about it like this think about a water skier how many of you have ever water skied? would you raise your hand all right very good I never have never plan on it by the way I'll drive the boat though and make you wreck I'm all about that that's the kind of adrenaline I like that it's no pain on my end that's what I like imagine a water skier the boat turns Okay? And the skier inevitably follows the same path. Why? He's connected to the boat. But he doesn't follow the same path instantly, does he? Especially if the rope is long. He, he, he follows the path inevitably, but not instantly or instantaneously. Now get this, you're the boat. And your choices of faith have the power to turn the wheel. Your emotions, while they're very real, they're the skier. They're only along for the ride. Too many people think that the skier or the emotion pulls the boat. When in fact it is the boat, or your faith-filled choices based on God's word that ultimately steers the skier? Are you getting it? The skier, while pulling, being pulled by the boat, can attempt to go down a different path. But the moment he tries to go down a different path, he's going to realize how dependent he is on the boat because he won't be connected to the boat anymore. Your emotions don't get to steer the wheel of your life. Yes, they're along for the ride. But you are in the seat driving the boat by faith. Okay? Okay? And I understand that your, emotion, your, your initial emotions, upon being in a moment of fear, whatever your fear is and however it comes along, that those initial emotions sometimes aren't your choice. But the ones you bring along with you, they are. And David made a faith choice. He was honest about his fears. Then he chose to pray through them and apply his faith. And I'm going to say in a statement, here's what he does. He runs from the fluctuating world of emotion to the fixed foundation of God's Word. That's what he does. That's the transition that happens in the text, the transition that ought to happen in our prayer. If we want to go from praying about to praying through, we've got to run from the fluctuating world of emotion to the fixed foundation of God's Word. Verse 4, study with me. In God, I will praise His Word. Verse 10. In God, will I praise His Word. In the Lord, will I praise His Word. Watch this. This transition, this turn, his faith was not merely mental assent. Get this. It wasn't just a recognition of God. He went in his prayer closet and realized, okay, David, quit being silly about your fear. You serve God. Okay, amen. Amen. It wasn't that. His faith, this transition in his prayer, was based on the content of God's word. Now what was the content? Verse 8. Thou tellest my wonderings. I love how specific he got about God's promises for him. Because when he said, God tellest me my wonderings... That's pretty complex. Think about where David was wandering, From Gibeah to Ramah to Nob to Gath to Adullam. He was all over the map. But here's what he claimed by faith. God is with me every step I take. He tellest me my wonderings. That word tell us is a mathematical term that says this. God never loses track of where I'm at. He knows my every step. Psalms 139 claims this to be the truth. O oh Lord, thou hast searched me. I love this church and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar of off. Thou compasseth my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I free from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, <laughs> thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, thou art there if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. Hey, God doesn't need a GPS tracker to keep up with you. He already knows. In fact, he's ahead of you and and he's beside you and he's behind you and most importantly, he's over you. That was the content of David's faith. Not some little picture he saw at Hobby Lobby. Or a cute t-shirt he saw on Facebook. Not even a bracelet. It was the content of God's character and God's promises and God's word. He goes on in verse 8. Put thou my tears into a bottle. David wasn't just saying, God, you know where I am. He's saying, God, you know every tear I've shed. In other words, God doesn't just keep track of the steps you take. He keeps track of the pain those steps cause you. Did you hear that? He doesn't keep track just of the steps you take, but he keeps track of the pain that those steps bring into your life. What am I saying? I'm saying the tears you shed at the altar, God sees those and the tears you shed at work, God sees, and the tears you shed in your prayer closet at home, God sees, and the tears you shed late at night when everybody else has gone to bed, God sees, and the tears you shed that you don't want anybody to know about, God sees, and the tears you shed for your child, God sees, and the tears you shed for your grandchild, God sees, and the tears you shed for an unpaid bill, God sees, and the tears you shed over a lost family member, God sees, and the tears you shed over a disappointed marriage, God sees, and the tears you shed over bad health, God sees, and the tears you shed Before the funeral and during the funeral And well after the funeral God sees And David said by faith God you know where I am And you know the pain that I'm feeling And every tear that I I pray in the darkness of this wilderness In the coldness of this cave Every tear I can't post it on Facebook They'll know where I am I can't text a friend I can't go to church can't call my pastor. My wife isn't even here. But he says, I'm gonna have faith. That's supernaturally in a bottle. You're, you're catching every tear that falls. Isn't that a wonderful picture? He says one more thing in verse 9. Look. When I cry unto thee, then shall my enemies turn back. This I know, for God is for You know how I know that was God's word? Because Paul said so in Romans 8:31. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, then who can be against us? You see what David's doing? He's applying his faith. He's choosing where to place his focus, and you must do the same. You just can't acknowledge to God how you feel say amen and be done. Come on, that'll only provide a temporary change of your feelings. Praying through means that you must run from the fluctuating world of emotion to the fixed foundation of God's unchanging word. And it's only after acknowledging fear and applying faith that we can take the third step. Because you're not not done. You're not done praying through just because you applied faith. Now you've got to articulate your faith. Look at verse number four. The very end of it. There's significance to these phrases. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Verse 11, the end of verse 11. I will not be afraid of what man can do unto me. Catch the significance of this. When David started his prayer, who is he fearful of? Man. Man. He said, they're swallowing me up. They're fighting against me every day. They're oppressing me. They're laying wait for my soul. They're ganging up on me. Now, after acknowledging his fears honestly to God and applying his faith, he's able to say about those same men, I'm not afraid of you. I have God on my side. He knows where I am. He knows how I feel. And he is for me. And if God be for me, no offense, but you don't match up to him. And I'm going to be just fine. Now, this isn't David being arrogant. This isn't David being cocky. I go to church, so nobody can ever defeat me because I'm a Christian. this is David being faith-filled. Okay, I think about it like this. One of my very first years of being on staff here, 2006-2007, I played on a City League basketball team that that I decided to coach myself. And we won the season. Didn't lose a, a single game in the regular season. And we got to what they called tournament, which is, you know, you want to win the tournament because you get a free t-shirt. And so we playing to win the tournament. If you won the season, who cares? You won to win the tournament because that means you're the best. And so we play all the way through the tournament and we win against the championship game. And we play against a team that we already beat in the season. And come to find out, this team went out and recruited some players. They weren't supposed to, but went out and recruited some players. And tried to stack their team so as to beat ours. I heard a couple guys complaining about that on my team. And I confidently, not arrogantly, I confidently said to them, they can recruit all they want. Whether it's illegal or legal, tell them to bring it on. You might say, well, that's arrogant. And you might think because of my competitive nature, it was. But I assure you it wasn't. I was so confident of how good we were that you can go recruit whoever you want. They're not going to be able to come against us. They're not going to be able to beat us. And I want to tell you, we won. And I was right. I was full of faith that day. Or stupidity. Or arrogance. I don't know, but it makes for a good illustration. And we got the t-shirt. I do have to tell you, it was the bottom barrel leak. It was the recreation league. So it's not saying much at all. Um, but I think that's what David's saying. David's not cocky. He's saying, listen, I know who I got on my squad. And you might have an army of Psalm of strongest men, but I've got got the God who created that army. And and if I've got that on my team, bring it. Bring it. I, I think that's incredible. That's what it means to articulate your faith. You don't just believe it in your mind because it's something you hear at church, but in your prayer language, you confess these things by faith to God. You articulate these things to God. And that's how David closed his prayer in verse 12. Look. Thy vows are upon me, O God, I will render praises unto thee. In other words, I'm going to go ahead and sing the victory song. For thou hast delivered my soul from death. Will I not deliver my feet from falling? The tense of the verb in verse number 13 says it all. Thou hast delivered my soul from... It's a done deal. Not yet in experience, but in the eyes and on the tongue of faith. John Kitchen said this. We must articulate in prayer the faith we have chosen. The word from God that we have believed and banked on must become the prayer we hold before God in faith. And yet, here's what I found. As Christians, we often pray like defeated people. We either go to one of two extremes in prayer, especially in the midst of fear. One extreme, all we do is, is kind of whine and, and, and wallow about our troubles, and we're done. Or we go to the other extreme and we pray these thoughtless prayers, like mindlessly lifting up the, the, these pious-sounding phrases without even thinking deeply about what we're saying. And so we got this extreme where we're venting, and we've got this extreme where we're speaking Christianese to God. And both of those extremes are wrong. I mean, we, can, we can pray fancy phrases if we want, We can vent if we want, and we can. But what we've got to do, if we want to pray through, is is we've got to start with acknowledging our fear. And we cannot get out of the prayer closet until we apply our faith to what we know is true about God in our life in that moment. He knows me. He knows every step I take. He knows every pain that I feel, every tear that I shed. He is for me, not against me. And then we must take another step of articulating that faith out loud. Now, i got to make a disclaimer. Just because you pray with faith and claim God's promises by faith doesn't mean everything you pray for will turn out exactly as you want it to. You can hang that that shallow theology somewhere else. Because God is not on the hook just because you pray by faith. Yes, God, just because you believe he's capable, and he is, doesn't mean he's always willing. Did you hear me? Doesn't mean that that's always best for your life. And only God knows this, but for some reason, no is sometimes the best answer. Not now is sometimes the best answer. And we'll leave that up to God. It scares me whenever we we teach these things about articulating our faith and then we give off this false message that if you pray and believe, you'll be able to go outside and move a mountain. Like it'll happen just like that. That's not true. That's not true. Yes, our our prayers of faith move the heart of God, but they, they don't constrict him to do exactly what we want him to do. And you know how I know that wasn't David's heart? You know how I know David wasn't just praying to get what he wanted because of how he closes the song? That I may walk before God in the light of the living. See, here's what David realized. Praying through fear isn't just about feeling better or getting what I want from God. It's about getting closer to God. David wasn't articulating his faith because he watched a preacher on TV say, do it and things will happen. David's articulating his faith because he believed in his heart that God, if he was willing, is certainly capable. But David was saying, God, if for some reason this doesn't end up well, here's what I know this fear is doing for me. It is inviting me to a closer walk with you. And God, if I could sum up my prayer, it's this, at the end of the day, whether you do what I want you to do or not, please help me to walk closer to you. And we have to realize Yes, we acknowledge our fear. Yes, we apply our faith. Yes, we articulate our faith. But at the end of the day, the fearful circumstances of our life, the best thing it can bring about is a closer walk with God. That's the real goal in praying through. And you don't get that kind of intimacy when you pray once a week. And you don't get that kind of intimacy when you just show up to church and come to the altar and pray and it's the only time you do it. You don't get that kind of intimacy whenever you get in your prayer closet and you start getting flooded with text messages. And you get distracted from praying and you quit. You get that kind of intimacy when you pray through. When you hang out long enough in your prayer closet every single day to acknowledge fear and apply faith and articulate faith, that's when you get that kind of intimacy with God. Not through these token prayers. Not through praying Christianese. Or having a five-minute therapeutic session with God and saying, adios, just wanted to throw that on you. We ought to know enough about God to apply our faith to who He is You know, you prayed through and I'm done. When you go from what time I am afraid to saying I will not fear. And it might take several prayer sessions to get there, it might take several trips to the altar to get there. It might take a week or two or three or four to get to the place where you can say, like David, what time I am afraid. And that goes to, I will not fear. So as I did last week, let me challenge you tonight to pray the Psalms 56 prayer. It says this, acknowledge your fear. Name it. Be descriptive about your emotions. Don't hesitate to be genuine with God. Then in this prayer, apply your faith. Transition from feelings to faith. Recount to God that you know He's aware of your steps, you know He's aware of your tears, and that He is for you. And then articulate it. Claim that promise out loud. Do not get up from your knees in defeat. Say to God in prayer, what time I am afraid, I will trust in Thee. And I will not be afraid, God, based on Your Word of anything or anyone else, because I'm confident that if You're for me, who can be against me? And then you do what David did in verse 12. You render praise unto God. And so here's what I'm going to do tonight. I'm going to ask Brother Mike and, and Miss Kay to come. And Caden and or whoever can do it. I, I want us to have a time of prayer. And remember, I, I, want, I want our church to have this culture where we're coming to an altar if you're physically capable is normal. It's normal. It's it's just like anything you do in life. The more you do something, the more comfortable you get doing it. Some, I'm convinced, don't they, they don't go to the altar because they're 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 prideful people or they're 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 carnal people or rebellious people, they're just nervous about it. Just nervous about it. And I want to encourage you, if that is it for you, if it's not physical, then 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 you you need to get over those nerves. If it is pride that keeps you from praying at an altar? Sir, ma'am, you need to get over that. You need to get over it. Well, I don't think I have to pray at an altar. Maybe that means I should preach a whole message on why we do an invitation. I don't got time to preach that. I've already taken up all the time I have. But there is something special about this place. Oh, you don't get like a zap of spiritual energy or anything weird like that. But it's the humility. It's the humility that it takes to get out of your seat and bow a knee in a public place. It's the humility. Well, I'm a humble person. Well, If you say that, you're probably not. God said his house ought to be known as a house of prayer. So I want us to come and pray through. I put Psalms 59. It's Psalms 56. you can pray through Psalms 56. And and if you're not in a a valley where where you're you're facing any kind of fear in your your life, then then, then you can can come and and, and pray for others who you know are. And then after we're done praying, I want us to sing a song of praise. And we're going to sing, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. I love that hymn. And I find that that when we sing together after, after truth being revealed from his word, Like it has more depth to it. And so when we sing together, and Brother Mike comes and, and leads us in that song in a moment, I want us to sing it based on the truth we just heard. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Stand to your feet.